I want to welcome you today. Thank you for being with us at Destiny. At Destiny, we believe that God has a divine calling, a divine purpose for you, for every person, for every individual, that God loves you, he cares for you, and uh, we're here to help you find and to live out the purpose and the call of God on your life. And so we're, we're glad that you're here with us today. My name is Pastor Matt, and so I just want to welcome you. Thank you for being here. And uh, in a few moments, we're going to spend some time in the Word of God. How many of you love God's Word? Amen. Right now, we're in the middle of a series going through and looking at uh, Jesus' parables, uh, Jesus' favorite stories, these stories that he would teach that would communicate spiritual truth. And so just a moment, we're going to look at those. Uh, but today, we have a very special guest who is with us. He is a pastor and a church planter all the way from the Czech Republic, and he's here with us today, and it's someone who Doug Pittman, my father-in-law and one of the missionaries from this church, Doug and Angie Pittman, they've been working with him, and so I'm going to invite uh, Doug to come and uh, to introduce him to you, and he's going to share a little bit of his story and his testimony, and uh, I thought it would really bless you today to hear from him, so... Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Matt. Hey, good morning, everyone. Um, it's a real honor and privilege to introduce to you a, a dear friend of mine. His name's Stanislav Hart. Can you say Stanislav? I like that name. I mean, I'm, I'm just so happy God gave me a friend with the name Stanislav. I just like to say that, Stanislav, Stanislav. But uh, you can call him Stan for short. I, I, met, I met Stanislav Hart in the uh, Czech Republic in the city of uh, Libetz, northern Czech Republic, right near the German-Poland border in 2014. I've never been to the Czech Republic. I didn't know who Stanislav Hart was, but I found myself at a, a pastor's leader's uh, European conference, uh, really the first one this city and this region has ever had, about 200 pastors gathered together in one of the most atheistic regions of the world. And this young pastor, Stanislav Hart, was organizing this whole thing. And I just really admired what, we, what I saw in him. And, and uh, the Lord just connected our hearts together. And, uh, and with his invitation, we found ourselves going back to the Czech Republic. And I tell you why, we're working in many nations, but there's one, one place that really, really makes us feel right at home, and that's uh, with Stanislav and his wife, uh, Yezina. Can you say Yezina? And they're raising up a powerful church in this difficult harvest field. Many of the, the people in their church are former atheists, but I'm going to let him tell his story today. I, I want you to know we've had shared times of ministry together. We, we've seen the, the power of the Holy Spirit uh, move and transform people's lives, a place where altars just explode with people, people crying out to God and turning to God. And, and I want you to know today that there's a loud voice of the gospel in the Czech Republic today. Amen? And God's going to break through that atheistic spirit there. And I've been in their home. I've eaten with them. I've been at their table. I've been around their family. I've stayed in the homes of some of their team members. So I've gotten to know them very, very well. And, and I, I do have to say in that, I do have to let you know that Yezina, his wife, makes the best garlic hamburger in the world. 
I'm telling you, it is worth the plane fare, okay, to go to the Czech Republic. She's been gracious enough to cook this burger for me every time I go, and I feel like it's heaven on earth. They, they, they roll out the red carpet. I really feel at home. They receive us. They want us there. And in essence, they're receiving this congregation right here. And I want you to know that we've got gloriously saved, beautiful brothers and sisters in the Czech Republic, and God is doing a work there. Amen? And I just want to say that being around them and their church and their people, they're legitimate. They're legit. And, and it's, it's a real honor for me to introduce Stanislav to you. This is his first time in the state of Texas. I, I told him last fall, I said, if you ever get close to Texas, come see us because they've always opened up their home to us and, 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 and just made us feel so welcome and, and we've enjoyed being with us. I said, we got a guest room. Come and be with us. So he made a, he a special trip to come and be with us. It's first time in San Antonio, Texas. Amen. And... Uh, so, look, we're treating him like a Texan this week. He wanted to be treated like a Texan, so we fed him red meat, all right? Okay? I said, what do you want to eat? He says, I want a Texas brisket. So I smoked him up one. Matt and Heather came over, and he had some Texas brisket. I took him downtown, fed him a steak, and he got his picture in front of the Alamo. I mean, can you be more San Antonian than that, you know? Just a wonderful brother in the Lord. Will you receive him? Let's give him a great big San Antonio welcome. Stanislav Hart from Libadets, Czech Republic. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. Um, thank you for this wonderful introduction. I will tell my wife what was said here. She'll be happy. Thank you, Pastor, for giving me time and having me here. I love the name of the church, Destiny, because I believe God has a destiny for each and every one of us. And um, I grew up in the communist Czechoslovakia, uh, which is now, nowadays called the Czech Republic. Uh, I grew up in socialism and communism, so I can tell you all about it if, you, if you're interested. Uh, I, I have just one thing to say, it does not work. And that's my honest opinion. We we had to we had to just everything was standardized. Like people were not really allowed to have their own opinion, you know, because everything was regulated. Uh, you would buy the same milk, just one kind of milk, in the same shop in the whole country for the same very same price. Uh, the problem was not that people wouldn't have money, but that people couldn't buy what they really needed because the factories were regulated and uh, uh, were producing stuff according to some five-year plans, but not according to people's needs. So everything was regulated. And one of the things that was regulated was faith. And um, in Czechoslovakia especially, uh, the communists managed to just kill Christian faith and the the little few churches that they kept were state-controlled gov government-controlled and uh, as a result even today 88% of people are atheistic or agnostic in Czech Republic which ranks Czech Republic as the most atheistic nation of today's world 
And um, okay, yeah, you see it right, right there. And Czech Republic is 10.5 million. Uh, my home, the, not hometown, but the town where we moved to plant a church is called Liberec, as Doug already said. Only 0.3% are born again um, evangelical, charismatic, uh, Pentecostal Christians. Every, everyone in, together. So if you give it a thought, this is 2011 figure census. Uh, if you give it a thought, th only three out, out of each 1,000 people are on their way to he heaven and the rest are on their way to hell. And so our mission, our destiny is to stop that and to preach the gospel. Well, you might ask, how did you become a Christian if you grew up in atheistic environment? Thanks for the question. <laughs> um, seriously, when I was growing up, uh, no f family member of mine, no friend of mine, no one I ever knew was a Christian. Was totally atheistic. And when I was 15, communism finally fell apart, the wall came down, and two years later, I became a foreign exchange student to Kansas, USA. And some people were so kind and so nice to obey the voice, the small voice of the Holy Spirit, and invited me to a concert. They were tricky. They said, <laughs> they didn't tell me it was a Christian event. They just said, Stan, let's go to a concert tonight. And I said, okay. When, when we were parking the car, my whole body began to shake from my head to my feet. I, I, I just began to tremble and, and shake. And, and uh, when, when I entered the, the room, I, I knew that that concert hall was just, just full of people who were just different. And I could tell, I could, I could feel it in my bones. And, and this guy came on the stage, his name was Phil Driscoll. And he says, he says God can change your life. God, God has a plan, God has a destiny for your life. God loves you, Jesus died on the cross for you. He was saying his personal story and testimony. And I just knew deep in my heart that this was true. It was God's supernatural intervention to my life. I couldn't stand it, so I ran away to the hallway. But there, they had loudspeakers there, so, so I, I kept... I kept hearing, God loves you. I said, I can't stand this anymore. I, I, it's terrible. I have, so I, I have to go to the bathroom. Loudspeakers again. <laughs> God was chasing me. Well, two years later, and many beers and many cigarettes and many drugs and parties later, I finally decided that there is no better way how I can live my life but to totally give up and submit my whole life to Jesus. And, I felt just so awesome. I, I was born again. God forgave me my sins. I, I, I didn't fully understand everything, but I, I understood one thing that I have to tell everyone, that everybody needs to know. So, well, if, if we can go back in my presentation, God, God totally changed and transformed my life and gave me a beautiful family, a beautiful wife. Uh, we have three kids today. And after several years and training and preparation, we, we went to Liberace Czech Republic to plant this, uh, this new church. 
today, nowadays, uh, well, Liberec is 150, yeah, okay, that's the Czech Republic on the, the map of Europe, and uh, maybe we can go through the slides, please. Okay, okay. So, we, because the, the people are basically negative towards the church, they don't care for the church, they don't like the church, but so we need to connect with them, and one of the things that works, that worked for me, was an evangelistic concert. And so now we organize evangelistic concerts. We just do different kinds. We, we did this, all of this uh, happened just last year, just in 2018. We did four different concerts, a rock, rock show, a rap, rapper preaching the gospel on the, on the main square in between his rap, a gospel, rap soul, stuff like that. So. It works awesome. Last year, at the, at the last concert uh, in November, 50, this was for young people, 50 young people gave their hearts to Jesus. We also, we also do, okay, I need to wait, what's on the next slide? Okay, we just uh, started a food bank to feed people. We just need to demonstrate Jesus and do acts of love, acts of kindness. Just So we're, we're distributing food. We um, just started also in November of last year, and already we distributed food uh, in the amount of like $2,000. So that's just, just a start. A few, a few of the single mothers cried when they, when they received the food from the church, and so they can change their opinion about the church. Well, next, please. Graffiti. We, as a church, we hosted a graffiti contest three times. Uh, we sponsored, we, it was legal, <laughs> just to make sure. We got, we got a permission uh, to, to paint the, the ugly, you know, places under the bridges, make it, make it look nice now. And we sponsored this, and we invited the young people, had barbecue and a, and a DJ, music, and just, it attracted the, the attention of even one news reporter who did an interview with me the next day in the local paper. And the gospel message was, was there for a long time. Another thing that we did, we, we tried to preach the gospel in the mall, uh, well, we hear about the street evangelism. People are not walking in the streets too much these days, but they are walking inside the malls. So that's, that's, the, that's the street of today's age and the internet. So we do all of this. We, we try to enter the mall, but whenever we tried permission to sing some Christmas songs, and we, we would say we are, from, we are church, we would like to sing songs, they would say no. So we did a tricky way, again. <laughs> uh, one businessman from our church, um, you know, said he is organizing the event, and the church was just as one of the sponsors. And we managed to connect with one artist who made a, a nativity scene, which is on the left side. That's kind of abstract nativity, Joseph, Mary, Jesus, and a five-meter-long angel. And we rented this to the mall, and so they paid us, they paid us money, but they said... <laughs> So, so we, we, we became very bold, you know, and we asked for $1,000 to rent this to them. And the, the manager said, well, I only have 500, but maybe we can make a deal. I'll give you 
500, not 1,000, and you guys can present your organization for one month. So as a result, we got paid for preaching the gospel in the mall. <laughs> not all evangelistic events are so profitable, though, and we, we, we need help with all the others. You know, it's expensive to, to, to put on a concert and stuff like that. Next, next slide shows... Okay, this is a um, pretty new thing as well that we've been doing for about three years to offer to marry the unsaved, the non-believers. At first, I thought, when we first started talking about this as, as pastors in our area, I thought this was controversial. I, I thought, no way, how can we marry the unsaved in front of God? But I changed my, my mind about it, and I thought, well, let me just, I, I am licensed to marry people, let me just use it as an evangelistic tool. And so, so I get to, to do premarital counseling based on the Bible with the people and, and just tell them my testimony, tell them about what the Bible has to say, and they are amazed. They, they are, again, they are changing minds. Last year, I did 10 weddings like that and pro preached the gospel to about 1.5 thousand people through that. right at the wedding ceremonies. Today, I'm already scheduled for about 23, I think, weddings. <laughs> so, it's exciting. So, that's about it. Let me, can I have one, one more minute? Maybe one or two minutes? Okay. Um, just one story from our own life, like, to let you know how, how it works. I believe this can encourage you as well, because people are people all over the world. Uh, we have... We, we had a neighbor uh, as a family, and this neighbor was sick with cancer. And so we, we just, we would help her as much as we could. Whenever we went buy groceries, we would buy groceries. When, for her, we would ask her, do, do you need anything? When I would mow the lawn, I would mow the lawn for her uh, as well. And we just, we just showed love to her. Whenever my wife cooked something delicious, she would always share it with her. Um, Give her a piece of pie. How many of you can do, can do that? Can, how many of you can smile at someone and give him a, a piece of your pie? I think it's pretty easy. It's also, it was pretty easy for the people to tell me, let's go to a concert. They didn't even have to you know, say God or Jesus or anything. They just say, let's go to a concert. And we just gave her, gave her a piece of pie here and then. And then she, her health condition became worse. worse. And uh, so we said... We'll pray for you. You know, you know that we are believers. And she said, yes, I know that. And I appreciate that. So we prayed for her. And time went on. One day, uh, I was at home with my wife. And she got a phone call. And this, this neighbor was calling. And she, she said, um, Mrs. Hart, I'm, I'm feeling really bad. Can, can you please come and help me? And I said, it just came out of my spirit. I just said, get her saved. I'll be praying. So I began to pray. She went there. And the, the neighbor, she told her, she told her, I, I already tried to call two other people, but no one answers the phone. I believe the angels of God were blocking the phone lines. You know, the other phone. So she, she got a phone call, and she says, I feel real bad. Can you call the ambulance? Can you help me? And so my wife took, the, took her phone and began to dial uh, the hospital. But she just couldn't finish. 
And she says, you know what? We have to do one thing first. Would you like to know that your sins have been forgiven uh, and that, that Jesus, Jesus washed away your sins and that you're ready to meet God? And she said, yes. So they prayed the prayer of salvation after she was saved. The ambulance came, the guys carried her into the ambulance and she died right there. So she was, she was saved like 10 minutes before she left this earth. And I was, we were all like shocked, you know, like we were excited and sad at the same time. It was, she was very dear to our hearts, but we were like, wow, God, you saved her. I, so I called a friend, he's, a, he's an evangelist, and I told him what happened. And he says, wow, praise the Lord. And he says, go for the neighbors now. Because <laughs> he's, he's an evangelist. And I, and I thought, how can I, so should I like knock door to door and said, well, our friend neighbor just died. She went to heaven. Do you also want to go to heaven? <laughs> it, it just, <laughs> it didn't me, make much sense to me. So I didn't know how to preach the gospel now. But then my wife had an idea and she said, she, she approached the, 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 the late neighbor's daughter and she said, well, my my, my husband is a preacher, he could, he could speak at your mom's funeral. And she said, well, we didn't really originally want any speech at the funeral. We just wanted to make a little tiny funeral. But we know that you guys were like family to my mom and that she loved you. That's what she would want. So I had a chance, and the whole neighborhood came. I had a chance to, to, to share the gospel at the neighborhood. I'd like to clo close just by encouraging you guys. Just God can use you, and God has a destiny for you. And it's, it's just small, tiny little things, small acts of obedience that we can do. Smile for Jesus. Share your pie. Mow the lawn for your needy neighbor. Just, just give out his love. And, and, and when the right time comes, preach the gospel. Thank you. God bless you. You know, I, I believe that uh, Stanislav is God's man for the hour in the Czech Republic. Do you believe that? Yeah. I, I really believe that. And so, would you just stand with me? I just want to pray for him. Let's just pray over him as a church that every opportunity, every door would be open for him that God would move through him in a mighty way. I feel so honored to just have got to know him briefly and eat some brisket together. And, but I, I really feel that God has a, a powerful call on his life. And um, I just want to pray over that. Father, we thank you for Stanislav, Lord, and his family. Lord, we thank you for the way that you have rescued him. Lord, this powerful testimony of you chasing him down, Lord, at a concert. Lord, that you got a hold of his life, that you touched him, you changed him. Lord, that you saved him. Lord, as he continues to, to take your message of life and love and hope to his community, to his nation. Lord, that you would give him strength, that you would give him, uh, Lord, a, a power in your spirit. Lord, a power and a conviction as he shares your word. Lord, that it would produce in people's hearts a, a, a repentance from sin, a love towards God, a faith towards God. 
Lord, give him ideas and strategies, Lord, of, of how to reach his city. Lord, uh, that you would even wake him up in the night with new ideas, with new vision. Lord, surround him with people who will come alongside of him and, and to carry the vision and to carry the weight of ministry. Lord, that you would bring a team around him, Lord, that would just invade this city and this country. Lord, we ask you for a mighty move of God, Lord, in this place. Lord, that a generation uh, would rise up that would call upon the name of the Lord, that you would use this man as an integral part of what you want to do in that city and that nation. We thank you for it today, and we just speak life and blessing over Stanislav in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. At this time, I want to uh, invite our ushers to come, and we're going to receive this morning's offering. The Bible teaches us that it is a blessing to be able to give today, and so we thank all of you who give and support the ministry of Destiny Church, and uh, we want you to know that um, the Lord is a good God and that He does bless us, and that we are a blessed people today as we give. I do want to remind you of all of our missionaries uh, that are all over the world and the work that they're doing. Many of you have made commitments. You've made pledges to give and to support our missionaries. I just want to remind you of that and encourage you to be faithful in your giving. Father, we thank you uh, that we have received so much from you, Lord. Uh, the gift of your son Jesus, the gift of salvation, the gift of redemption, the gift of adoption into your family. Lord, as we give today, we, we don't give because we have to. We give because we, we get to, because you've blessed us, and it's a joy to be able to give and to, to sow into your kingdom. Lord, take what is given and, and break it and multiply it and bless it and use it, God, to expand your kingdom, to, to bring more people into your family, that, that more people in this community and around the world would hear the life-saving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for everyone who's here today. Lord, those who are able to give and those who are not, we just speak blessing over them today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. I do want to let you know that uh, Pastor Stanislav has a book uh, that tells a little bit of his story and what God is doing uh, there in their ministry, and he will have these for sale after uh, the service today, and that helps to support him and his ministry. He'll be out in the foyer. If you want to stop by and pick up one of his books, I highly encourage you to do it. I've read through it. It's awesome. It'll build your faith, and it'll bless him and his ministry, and so after service today, you can pick up one of these they are $5, and also, if you just want to bless him, man, please do that as well. Okay, uh, how many of you love the Lord today? Amen. We're going to jump into the Word this morning. Uh, God's given me a word for you today, a word that will speak to you and that will bless you and that will strengthen you in your faith. And so, um, if you would, open with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. We are spending time looking at the parables of Jesus, and today we're going to look at a parable that uh, I, I think is really uh, quite interesting and will potentially offend you today. How many of you came to church to be offended today? Well, if you're coming to Destiny, you should know better that, you know, that's 
pretty much what you're going to get here. Um, anyway, uh, it offends a, a part of us that uh, needs to be offended. Um, and so we're going to look at this today, and I, I know that ultimately it's going to bless you. Did you know that God wants you, you to be full of joy? Did you know that? That God wants you to be full of joy. In fact, Jesus said, I've, I've spoken to you, I've, I've given you my commands that your joy may be full, not empty, not running on fumes, not that your joy tank is only halfway or 90%, but, you know, like, if you're like me, when you go to the, the, to the gas station and you fill up your tank, you, you keep filling it and filling it. You know, the thing cuts off and then you, you want to get a, every last drop of gas in there that you can. So you, you squeeze it again and it stops and then you squeeze it again and it stops and you squeeze it again and it sprays all over everywhere. And then you think, okay, I maybe have enough gas. <laughs> Listen, God wants your life to be full of joy like that. Amen. Constantly being filled with his joy, and joy is a happiness and a contentment and a peace and a satisfaction that is internal, that, that is, is constantly renewed and constantly replenished, and it's not based on external circumstances. You know, if, if things don't go your way and all of a sudden you're not full of joy anymore, well, let me tell you, you didn't have joy to begin with. You just had an external happiness based on the secondary circumstances. When Jesus talks about joy, he, he's talking about a, a happiness and a satisfaction that transcends even when things don't go your way. How many of you like that? that that's what Jesus wants for us. He says, I've, I've spoken to you that your joy may be full. And so when we come to God's word in the larger context, God has given us his word. One of the reasons is that as we would learn it, study it, and live it, that it would produce joy in our lives. Joy is one of the fruit of God's spirit. As we're filled with the spirit of God and, and walk with the Lord and, and, and live a life uh, uh, that is in relationship to God, that joy is one of the things that's produced and birthed in our lives. Now, I can tell what you're full of By, by watching you when things don't go your way. When, when life comes and life hits you and, and somebody rubs you the wrong way and sort of shakes you a little bit, what, what spills out is what you're full of, right? So if, if, if what's on the surface is rage and anger and malice and payback, revenge, that's what you're full of. But when life doesn't go your way and you just say, well, praise God, I know I serve a king who's sitting on the throne and his plan and purpose for me will not fail. That means you're full of joy, a, a, a happiness and contentment that transcends even the, the, the momentary, the, the temporary circumstances of life. And so I want to talk to you today, and this parable is going to show us we're going to see something that will rob you of joy. We're going to learn about something that will steal joy from you. It will suck it out of your tank like somebody stealing gas from you. 
and then you would also be, wouldn't have joy either. So I, I want to I talk to you about something that will rob your joy. And we're going to see this in this parable from Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with them, the laborers, after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, that's the payment, he sent them out into his vineyard. And going out in the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. So first he went out before the day began. He went out before 6 a.m., and he found some people who were there, and he said, hey, come and work in my vineyard. Now he goes out in the third hour. The third hour is 9 a.m. Their workday started at 6 a.m., so the third hour was 9 a.m. So he goes out at 9 a.m. He sees others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour, so now it's 12 p.m. And the ninth hour, that's 3 p.m., he did the same. And about the 11th hour, that's 5 p.m., that's an hour before quitting time, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house. They said, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you. And go, I choose to give to this last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do with what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would speak to our hearts today in these few moments. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are receptive to your word. Lord, plant it deep within our hearts. Let it grow and bring forth good fruit in our lives. Lord, that we too would be witnesses for you and for your kingdom, showing your love and grace everywhere we go, that there would be a harvest in this city. In Jesus' name, amen. So a denarius, a denarius was the typical wage of a worker. It was the, the daily wage for someone who had a job. So if someone had a job, they could expect to earn about a denarius for one day's worth of work. 
It was also the, the wage of a Roman, uh, a, a man in the army, a Roman, someone who was in the Roman army, a, a foot soldier in the Roman army, would also earn one denarius per day. Now, what the men in the marketplace are being hired to do, they're being hired to go out into this vineyard, and they're not being hired to do skilled work. They're not being hired because of their education, because they know a trade. These are unskilled men who are being hired to do physical, manual, unskilled, menial labor. They're just picking grapes off a vineyard. That's all they're hired to do. They're not hired because of their their skill or, or their talent or their ability. Now, these workers who were standing out in the marketplace in the morning, these are people who did not have a job. They didn't have a steady source of income because they did not know a trade and they did not uh, have a, a, a degree or background or education. And so they would just get up in the morning and they would go stand in the marketplace and hope that someone would look at them and say, hey, I need some work done today. Can you come with me? I want to hire you for the day. They had no job. They had no prospects. They had no skill or trade. They were at someone's mercy who would hire them. So their only hope for that day to feed their family was that someone would come by and hire them. If not, at the end of the day, they would have no money. These are people who lived paycheck to paycheck, but their paycheck came every day. And so if if they didn't earn anything that day, they went home and they didn't eat that day. These are the people that are at the very bottom of the totem pole in that society. And so they go to the place, the marketplace in the morning, and they're hoping to find work. Now, they would have thought they hit the jackpot when someone came to them and said, I'll pay you a denarius for today's work. Because someone in their position was not in any sort of position to negotiate, to demand higher wages, And this would have been a higher wage than he would have had to have paid them. He could have easily said, hey, I'll give you half a denarius today if you'll come and work in my vineyard because they're really not bringing anything to the table except for their physical labor. And so what we're seeing already is that this master is being very generous with the people that he's hiring at 6 a.m. to go into his field. When he says, I'll give you a denarius if you'll come and you'll work for me, none of them argue, none of them um, debate, none of them try to draw a higher bargain or or ask for a higher wage. they're, They're readily able and excited to go and to work uh, for the master at that rate. And then we see the master goes out again. He goes out at 9, he goes out at 12, he goes out at 3, he goes out at 5 p.m., And he says to those people, he says, just come and work for me and I'll pay you what's right. We don't have to negotiate a wage. I'll do right by you. And then as he lines them up from the last to the first, they start to pay out a denarius. Now imagine the guys at the end of the line, right? These guys over at the end who have worked 12 hours. They've worked the whole day. And here the master, it appears, is committing to pay people a denarius per hour, right? He pays the people who worked an hour, some less than an hour, 
one full day's uh, worth of payment. And then when he gets down to here, they must be thinking, man, he's going to pay me 12 days worth of work. This is awesome. I don't have to work for the next two weeks. But then he gets down to the end, and what, is, what does he pay them? He pays them the same. Now, how would you have felt? How would you have felt? Would, would, would your initial excitement of being paid a denarius, a, a decent living wage for doing menial labor when you really had no hope or prospects to begin with, would your excitement have faded? Come on, be honest, we're in church. Yes. Yes. How many of you would have grumbled? Yes, I would have. I would have been the loudest guy. I am that guy. Wait a minute. This, these people over here, it, it was sunset when they came in. This guy barely picked three grapes. Look at my baskets. Look at what I've done for you. Look at all the work. And he gets paid the same as me? No, this ain't right. This isn't just. I deserve more. I deserve better. Now, listen to me very carefully. Jesus is not teaching a parable on how to run a business. This, this is not the point of this parable. Jesus is not teaching socialism or that people who don't work very much should get the same pay. That is not what Jesus is teaching about. Jesus doesn't say, and business shall be like this. No, he says, and the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Amen. Amen. The kingdom of the world is not like this. Just try showing up at 5 p.m. to work tomorrow, and you'll find out that the kingdom of the world does not function this way. This is a parable about the kingdom of God. Anyone who tried to run their business this way wouldn't be running it this way very long. They would go out of business very quickly if they ran their business this way. But this is a parable about how God operates in his kingdom. This is a parable about how God operates in his kingdom. The master of the house is God in this parable. The workers in the field, these are everyone who have put their faith in Christ, who have come to him, who serve the Lord Jesus the truth that Jesus is teaching about is in regards to God's grace in salvation. To God's grace in salvation. The master is God. The workers are those who are saved. Now, those of us who have been saved and serving God for a long time, the point is that we should never look down on those who have only recently come in to the kingdom of God. This is the point that Jesus is teaching, that all of us must constantly recognize our need for God's grace. It doesn't matter if you've been serving God for one day or 100 years, you still need the grace of God. You still need God's grace. Just as the original workers in the field did not deserve a full denarius for their wages, neither do you deserve God's grace whether you've been serving God your whole life or not. It's undeserved, unmerited favor. 
Now, what changed for the workers? They, they were very happy to go and work in the field. They, they were very happy with the wages. Wow, this, this master, he's being so gracious and generous to us. Absolutely, we will go and work in your field today. What a blessing. What changed for them? What robbed them of their joy? It was when they began to compare themselves to other people. And that will rob you of your joy every time. When you start to compare your life to someone else's, when you start to compare God's blessing others to how God is blessing you, you want to talk about something that will steal and rob your joy? Take your eyes off of Jesus and start focusing on everybody else. You'll be one of the most depressed, angry, bitter, nasty Christians comparing yourself with everybody else. Now, this is a real problem. This is a real problem. The Bible tells us that we should not compare ourselves to one another. The Bible teaches us that comparison is unwise. So that to, to, to practice this as a way of life would be foolish, it would be unwise. But we know that with Jesus' disciples that this was a major problem. This was something they did regularly. They, they were constantly keeping a tally of, of who was the greatest. Every week they would you know, stop and compare, well, who did the most miracles and who cast out the most demons and... Well, okay, Peter walked on water, so I guess that bumps him up a couple notches, but he also sank, so, you know, that takes down. Like, they were keeping this constant thing going. This was a big problem for them, and, and Jesus knows that if, if, if his mission is going to be successful and if the church is going to be successful, that this idea of comparison within the body of Christ, it has to be eradicated, that the disciples cannot think of themselves as better because they found Jesus earlier or just decided to follow Jesus sooner rather than the people who would you know, follow Jesus on the day of Pentecost or, or 50 years down the line. Can you imagine if they would look down upon people who, who came to Christ later in life? That's what he's talking to them about because comparison is a big problem for the disciples. We know that they didn't get it because later in this chapter, a few verses later, uh, James and John send their mom to go ask Jesus if, if James and John can sit on thrones when Jesus comes into his kingdom. So they didn't get it. They didn't, they didn't, it didn't sink in immediately. So if you're someone who you know, doesn't immediately like, get the scripture or it really impacts your life immediately. Hey, you're in good company with the rest of the disciples. So just two, like, like 10 verses later, they, they send their mom to go say, hey, we think we're better than all the other disciples. When you come into your kingdom, can we sit on two thrones with you? Jesus will give you the big throne, but we'd, we'd like two smaller thrones if if that's okay. And we think it's well-deserved, Jesus. I mean, look at our reputation. Look at our rap sheet. Look at our resume. I mean, come on. We're the sons of thunder here. Come on. But this wasn't just a problem for the people of Jesus' day. 
How many of you know that comparison is a big problem for us in our day? I don't know if you've heard of these things, these uh, phones here, these little magic devices. Like social media, when you get on Facebook or Instagram and you start flipping through, God's just blessing everybody but me. Must be nice. Doug's eating another brisket. Must be nice. Man. Wow. Look. Look, this person posts a, a picture of their kid's bedroom, and look how clean it is. Must be nice. Wow, look at what so-and-so did for so-and-so on their anniversary. <laughs> oh, to have a husband who loved me. The way so-and-so loves his wife. Oh, wow, they're on, they're on vacation again. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, but they probably, don't, they probably don't tithe like I do, so... I'm sure they're not as spiritual as me and all these carnal and earthly pleasures, but I've got the joy of the Lord down deep in my heart. And the joy of the Lord is so deep in your heart, you ought to let it out every once in a while, you know? Let it come to the top. Listen, this is a big, stinking problem. Comparing yourselves to others, it will rob you of your joy. This is why I don't spend any time on Facebook. This is why I deleted Instagram off my phone because I would be on there and it would rob me of my joy. Oh man, look at Pastor Craig Rochelle and look at how many millions of people are coming to his church. And... <laughs> they have like a 24-hour baptismal pool that just... People baptized all the time. Was... Oh, man, so-and-so. They opened another campus. Okay, well, wow. Oh, man, look at all these people getting healed over there. Oh, goodness. They're probably, they're probably healing people by demonic power. That's probably what they're doing. Probably the devil. You, think I, you, don't, you don't think I'm susceptible to the same temptations? I got, I got rid of that stuff. It, it, it was robbing me of my joy. Just for, I don't need this. I got an incredible family. I got an incredible wife. I got incredible children. I got an incredible church. Are you kidding me? It's this comparison thing. It will rob you of your joy. That's what these disciples are doing. Paul said, Philippians chapter 4, he said, I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. And can we just be honest? Paul was in some pretty stinking bad situations. Paul was in some situations that are worse than anything you'll ever experience. Paul's best day was probably worse than many of your worst days. All right? A good day for Paul was just not going to jail. A good day for Paul is if he just got beat 
and left for dead outside of town. That was a good day for him. A good day for him was when he went on a cruise and it wasn't shipwrecked. A good day for Paul is when he's at a bonfire and snakes aren't jumping out and biting him. That's a good day for Paul. So, so let's just be honest and say, Paul saying that he's learned to be content in every situation is pretty impressive. He says, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I went to breakfast yesterday. I went to Denny's. And I ordered my bacon extra crispy. Now, my bacon was only slightly crispy. But I, you know, I really didn't even think about it. Honestly, I didn't think about it. But someone next to me said, are you going to eat that? <laughs> you should send that back. I'm like, you know what? It's not going to rob my joy today. Get over here and fix my bacon. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> like, like that's, that's the situations that we're in. That, that people get robbed of their joy over the most menial, small, ridiculous situations that I even have anything to eat should, should send me over the moon full of joy. Amen. That God is the provider and he takes care of me. That I have a roof over my head and, and food in my stomach today. Like I am blessed beyond measure today. I'm not a king on a throne. I serve the king of kings. We, we get so entitled to, well, I'm paying $8 for this breakfast, and by God, they're going to make it right. <laughs> tip. Here's a tip. Cook your bacon right. <laughs> Listen, if you're going to act that way, don't pray before you eat. You're, you're doing the kingdom of God a disservice. Just stop it. If you're going to pray before you eat, you better be nice to your waiter. You better leave him a good tip. All right, let me get back to my notes. He says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. You see, some people can't handle it when God humbles them. Some people can't handle it when God elevates them. So full of pride. Paul says, I've learned how to abound in both. In every circumstance, he says, I have learned the secret, the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. How many of you want to know the secret? He says, here's the secret. Here's what I've learned. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He says, I've, I've learned the secret is to live my life in the power of the Holy Spirit, to live my life full and filled of God's spirit, of God's love, of God's power, of God's strength. So when things don't go my way, you know what? I'm still living in the power and the strength of God. When things go my way, I'm not going to let it go to my head and think I'm so wonderful and that I'm the one that deserves all this. I'm going to continue to keep my focus on him 
who is strengthening me. In Hebrews 12, 2, the writer says, looking to Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. That we don't get sidetracked, that we don't take our eyes off of Jesus, that we don't start looking at everybody else and, and what they've got and while they got a raise and while they're going on vacation and while look at them, they got a new car and man, me, oh my, my car's only, you know, got all these miles on it and don't the Lord see me and all the work I'm doing for him, it sure'd be nice if, you know, God would bless me, blah, blah, blah. That will rob you of your joy. And let me just remind you of what you deserve this morning. You want what you deserve? You want God to give you what you deserve? No, you do not. There's a tendency sometimes in those who have been serving God for a long time to think that we have somehow earned or merited God's goodness and grace and favor and blessings. And you haven't. You haven't. You know, uh, Pastor Stanislav told the story about this woman who who came to Christ in the very last moments of her life. That's what this story is talking about. And that she now shares in the eternal life that Jesus purchased for her. And that none of us should ever look at that and say, well, man, I've been serving God all these years, and, and she gets the same grace that I get? Yes, she does. Because you don't deserve it either. The thief on the cross, the, the thief on the cross with Jesus, it says Jesus was crucified between two thieves. That when it started, when the crucifixion started, both of them were mocking Jesus. Both of them were saying to Jesus, if you're the son of God, if you're the Messiah, hey, don't you have like, you know, a good relationship with God? Can't you call down angels and get us out of this? You're not really who you say you are. But as the hours went on, one of the thieves began to see that there was something different about Jesus. And on the cross, this thief was converted. He, he had started his life and, and lived his whole life. He, the result of his whole life, where, where his decisions went and took him, was to be executed publicly for his crimes. Not a good person. To be crucified, you had to be a really bad person. And here he, he's up there, probably a murderer, probably a terrorist, probably uh, an enemy of the state. He is a bad dude. And on the cross, he, he begins to say, we deserve what we get. We, 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 th this is what we deserve. We deserve to die for our sins. But, but this Jesus, he, he doesn't deserve to be here. He, he hasn't committed any sins. And he looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? He puts his faith in Jesus in the very last moments of his life as he's dying for the sins that he's committed all of, the, all of the things that he has done wrong have led him to this point. And what does Jesus say? Oh, you're way too bad. There's no place in heaven for people like you. No, Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you'll be with me at paradise. 
Now, let's just contrast this quickly with Judas Iscariot. Grew up in a good Jewish family, knew the Jewish law, kept all the rules. Followed Jesus for three years, sat under the best Bible teaching anybody could ever sit under. Went to the, the master's seminary, right? Three years of, of walking with Jesus, of learning from Jesus, of studying the words of Jesus. He comes to the end of his life and he makes one bad decision. A whole lifetime of following Jesus, of keeping the rules, of doing the right things. He, Judas was even sent out on missionary trips to go and to heal people and to cast out demons. He had done some really good things for God. And it's not that everybody recognized that Judas was a bad dude. When, when Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, what does everybody say? Is it me, Lord? Is it me, Lord? It's not like everyone you know, had a light bulb moment. Oh, yeah, it's this guy. It's the guy named Judas. No. Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Jesus said of this, of Judas, he said, of the one who betrays me, it would be better if he had never been born. Now, now some will look at that and say, man, he lived his whole life godly, and he had last, he had, at the very end, he had one bad moment. Does that one bad moment out, outdo everything good that he had ever done? And then you look at the, the, the person on the cross, and man, he did everything wrong. And at the very last moment, all he did was ask Jesus to forgive him of his sins, and, and that, that's it. Listen, you, you have to understand that without faith in God, there's no hope for anyone. That, 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 that none of us, none of the good deeds, none of the righteousness, none of the things that we think would stack up and add up in our favor. The Bible looks at that and says that God calls it filthy rags. Every good work, every good deed that you've ever done, it doesn't add up to anything in God's book because we've all sinned against God. And there's this part of us that says, yeah, but I've done so much more, and I've worked so much harder, and honestly, I've just been better. God, you're going to give them that grace? And, and that, that thought in you, that, that thing that's being offended by this type of story, it's called self-righteousness. It's, it's you thinking that you have a righteousness that, that you have earned somehow. And this parable is told, this story is told to show you that you don't. The master asks the question, look, can, am, am I not allowed to be gracious to whoever, whoever I want to be gracious to? Do, do you begrudge my generosity? Is it not on God to decide whom he shows his grace to? Is it up for you to decide? Thank God it's not for us to decide. What a hellish place this would be if it was on us to decide who deserved God's grace. No one deserves the grace of God. We have to remember that we only deserve one thing from God. There's only one thing that we've earned, and it is not good. When we look at our spiritual resume, it is not a pretty picture. We've all broken God's laws. We've all broken his commandments. We've all rebelled against God. We've all fallen way short. The Bible calls this rebellion sin, and the wages of sin is death. This is what we deserve. This is what we have earned. We deserve immediate death because of sin. 
And God would be completely just to exercise justice on all of us immediately at any moment. And that means that every single breath that you take and have ever taken has been a gift of God's grace to you. Every single breath. God pours out grace on the sinner and the saint alike. Every single breath is a gift of God's grace and mercy. You see, we do not want God to deal fairly with us. We do not want God's justice. We want God's grace and God's mercy. And because he loves us, while we were yet sinners, Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins. We are all saved by the grace of God. And so when anyone comes to Christ, when anyone comes to repentance, let us rejoice. Let us all celebrate in the grace of God, the amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. His grace is unmerited, it's unearned, and he gives it out generously. Let us rejoice when others receive his grace. And I pray for the day when this church is, is filled and, and overflowing with people that in our natural mind we would think, what are they doing here? I, I look forward to the day, I pray for the day that the prostitute and the drug dealer and the, the ex-convict and even the convict will come to this place and experience the grace of God. Now, church is not a pretty social club for everyone who has a perfect life. If church was only for perfect people, there'd only be one person who could come. But because God wants his house to be filled, the call of grace continues to go out. Salvation and mercy for all who would believe. Let me ask you, what, what, did, what did the master think he was going to get out of the people that he hired at 5 p.m.? Did he think he was going to get anything useful out of them? No, but he still invited them in. Those in the 11th hour. You might be here today and, and you might feel like you're in the 11th hour of your life. You've, you've, you've chosen the wrong path at every single turn. And God says to you, there's still a place for you in my house. There's a place for you in my kingdom. It doesn't matter the path that you took as long as it leads you to the cross of Jesus. There is forgiveness and there is grace and there is mercy. There is redemption. There is salvation. There is sonship. There is a, 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 a seat at the table for you in the kingdom of God. And all you have to do is put your faith in Christ. All you have to do is turn from your sin, repent of your sin, and trust in Jesus. Let us never forget, those of us who have been a part of this for a long time, let us never forget of where we would be without the grace of God. Would you stand with me this morning?